0: Welcome to the third episode in our Inclusive Food Systems podcast series. Our guest today is Dr. Shubh Swain and in today's episode we will be exploring gender and nutrition in India, attempting to answer questions pertaining to the special nutrition needs of women, social norms and harmful misconceptions that govern what, when and how much women eat, and also government interventions for women's nutritional needs. Dr. Swain is a research associate at the Dyson School of Applied Economics and Management at Cornell University. He is the assistant director of the Technical Assistance and Research for Indian Nutrition and Agriculture Programme, or Tarina Programme, of Tata Cornell Institute. Dr. Swain has a multidisciplinary background spanning gender-responsive food systems, male involvement, intimate partner violence and women's health, migration and communicable disease, and agriculture and nutrition in the Indian subcontinent and East Africa. In today's episode, Dr. Swain walks us through Tarina's work as well as his own journey working at the intersection of gender and nutrition, while delineating for us what gender-sensitive approaches to nutrition entail. Dr.
1: Saint, can you start today by talking a little bit about the work of the Tata Cornell Institute around the topic of gender and specifically your work as the assistant director and gender and nutrition specialist for the program of TARINA, which is the technical assistance and research for Indian nutrition and agriculture program. And while elaborating on the work of the Tata Cornell Institute, could you maybe highlight some of the projects that are designed from the lens of gender?
2: The Tata Cornell Institute of Cornell University is engaged in the fight Against malnutrition in India since 2013, but TCI, which is the Tata Institute, fundamentally believes the food system approach, which is potentially gender-responsive, is the sustainable way to reduce malnutrition. Now, almost all of the programs that TCI has implemented or currently implementing recognize the importance of gender in achieving better nutrition. So the program you just mentioned, uh, Tarina, Technical Assistance and Research in Indian Nutrition and and Agriculture. So that is, TCI is one of the flagship programs that evolved on this framework of the food system that TCI believes. Through Tarina, TCI piloted several nutrition-sensitive interventions, starting from diversifying and intensifying the production system, enhancing availability and accessibility of the diversified food through better market linkages and also achieving better consumption pattern at individual, household, and community level through a positive nutrition behavior. So each of the program components were implemented through the gendered platform at household, village and community level so the nutrition gender toolkit that you just named is one example of such intervention where the nutrition gender uh, toolkit is a is a kind of method where the program tried to introduce the life cycle approach of the gender and nutrition and it emphasized how to empower the women of the Intervention area so that they can better equipped with the tools and the life skills to go for a better positive nutrition behavior. Assistant director of Tarina program, my main job was ensuring the program delivery broadly. Tarina is a large consortium from academia, NGOs, development partners, consulting firms, and policymakers. Being a among all of them is a fun-filled challenge. As a gender and nutrition specialist, my role was to support the collaborators in implementing the gender-responsive programs, collecting metrics that uh, dodge gender justice uh, and informs new evidences and how the program is disseminating the new information about gender.
1: Dr. Sween, what drew you to the intersection of gender and nutrition? And from your experience in this field, have conversations around gender and nutrition gained more relevance and become more nuanced in recent years?
2: Women's issues have always been a move-over-and-shaker for me from the beginning of my academic career. So previously, for quite uh, some time, I have worked on women and HIV in developing countries including India. That has made me realize any human development challenge you become irrespective of any level, any discipline, any type, the burden on women is disproportionately heavier. On that context, nutrition becomes very important. Nutrition is the one of the most critical factors that decides the physical, economic, and social well-being of an individual. Achieving better nutrition for women will lead to a society where women are healthier, economically more productive, have more bargain power, and this can be a key to minimize the chronic gender-based inequalities that we're struggling with. So that moved me to the intersection we are talking about today. And I was thrilled when I was offered a role within the TCI five years ago, and I'm learning to unfold the intersection every day. Coming to a second question, though nutrition was there from the beginning in the public health discourse, and women were present in that discourse, and this is this goes back a very early stage. But it is relatively new for many other disciplines, such as the food and the literature is one example. However, the across the disciplines, women nutrition is more talked about because it is linked to the birth outcomes, child health. So it is always has been around the motherhood and fertility. So the larger gender perspective is still missing from the whole discourse around gender and nutrition, even with the old discipline or the new one who are, it is still missing.
1: In India, the malnutrition of women and girls is a very present concern, with a quarter of women of reproductive age remaining underweight, and 53% of women suffering from anemia. So, if you could shed light on what really are the specific nutritional needs of women, especially vulnerable groups such as, as you were saying, pregnant women, lactating mothers, and adolescent girls.
2: And it is not Only about the undernutrition. Oh, you talked about anemia. About the recent national family health survey that brings out a very high figures throughout the nation. And it's not about undernutrition. And women also are more affected by obesity, which is rise right now. And the latest uh, NFHS figure, which shows that every fifth woman in India in 2016 was obese. But if you see the 2019-21 data, that shows almost every fourth of NSOBIT. So within a span of three to four years, it is a huge jump. And disproportionately, again, the burden is heavier on, on women. And it is a bit worrying that now, the most of the discussion around women's nutrition, misses to recognize the uniqueness of women's nutrition need By not only by age, but also by occupation, residence, and all of the background characteristics. Uh, So that's why many nutrition-sensitive programs is to see the the life cycle approach of the nutrition for the women. Glad that you asked this. Yes, men have specific nutrition needs at a different stage, the stages of life. While you need to focus on more energy, uh, protein and essential fatty acids, calcium, iron. Um, and a series of other micronutrients when you are designing a program for pregnant women. But for a l- lactating mother, it's mostly the vitamin A, C, E, and all the vitamins, all the B vitamins, the sodium are more needed than the iron. So the program has to really, and also when you go for the adolescent goals, you need the increased amount of energy, protein, iron, chick. So the program. Has to When I'm talking about adopting a life cycle approach, that program has to really give very nuanced focus on these kind of micronutrient needs at different stages of the women's life. And then that doesn't stop there. So when we talk about the senior adults, the requirement, the nutrition requirement is
1: completely different. We've been discussing how we should be approaching nutrition from a gender lens, but I just want to take a step back right now to ask you, what really does a comprehensive, gender-sensitive approach to nutrition look like in terms of not just increasing women's food intake, but also actually giving them control over resources, giving them decision-making power at the household level, and improving their knowledge of what nutritious food and nutritious cooking is for themselves and for their families?
2: Yeah. So looking at the uh, nutrition well-being from gender lens not only help us to fight a, against malnutrition in general as women are the major caregivers of when it comes to food and nutrition at household level, but it also gears up the effort of achieving gender equity as with the higher burden of malnutrition in women, we cannot accept gender empowerment. So, the logic is clear why we need gender analysis. That is, there is no debate about it. But you raised a very interesting point here. A comprehensive gender um, approach is very uh, important in this context. What I believe that we have always identified women as beneficiaries of programs and policies, where we have tried allocating more resources for women, reserved more share in the benefits. And we have not addressed the fundamental drivers, the underlying drivers of autonomy. So that is the reason after many years of investment by many agencies, many organizations, we are still asking ourselves the same question. Uh, so maybe it is time we have to change the approach. The food system approach we had just talked in, the, in briefly touched earlier, can be answered to that. So the comprehensive gender approach should bring together four major components of the food system with an enhanced women's participation to create a synergy. So the four major drivers are food production, household level income, accessibility to resources, and the fourth one is the improved healthcare awareness and behavior. Intensifying diversified food production by more involved or more in- like, and by elevated role of women will lead to better availability of diversified food and can be linked to the increased women's op- mm-hmm. ownership of household income, which further results in improved autonomy to women and better resource access. These positive. The changes can enable the better health and nutrition behavior, which in return facilitates the improved nutrition outcome. But there is a rider in that. The rider is the synergy among these four components is not possible unless an effective convergence of programs and policies, starting from health, agriculture, education, livelihood, environment, science, and technology, etc with a deliberate attempt of the gender sensitivity is at place. And this, we are talking from the evidence and experience that we saw in the field from our own pilot program or the literature. So a complete, as I said earlier, a a comprehensive gender approach uh, should look like a complete happy
1: circle. In India, we do have nutrition programs targeting women and girls. Programs from Anemia, Bharat, to Portion of Abhiyan, the ICDS scheme, and also the Midday Meal Programme, and many others. And so I'm interested to know, actually, in your opinion, what are some of the relatively successful nutrition programs in place for women and girls? And what are some effective metrics by which we can actually determine their success? So it it is true
2: that now we have not achieved what we should have. Or, what we are capable of it in terms of gender and nutrition. But it is also a fact that India has a wide range of nutrition specific programs that have made changes in the nutrition and health status of women so far, if we compare with the last 40, 50 years. So, the talking, you mentioned ICDS, the Integrated Child Development Services. So, the ICDS, which started in the 19. 70s is one of the largest nutrition supplementation program in the world. Apart from nutrition supplementation, ICDS also provides the health services like immunization, health checkup, referral services, educational services, and behavior change communication services like the nutrition and health education. So the nutrition supplementation, which is a key, and we're discussing here more largely, is implemented in two ways. Now, through the Anganwadi workers, home ration re- of food supplements for six to thirty-six months of work of children, and the on-site hot cooked meals for pregnant and lactating women and children of three to six years. So, the beneficiaries are pregnant and lactating mother and children kill six years of age. So, it stops there. Many studies are suggested, like you now, the ICD services have positive correlation with the complete immunization, better antenatal care, institutional delivery, and girls attending schools. So, this utilizing ICD services has likely is likely to increase the these indicators of these metrics. At the same time, so you talked about the Bhushanavian, where like the so, earlier, the National Nutrition Vision. So, the program got renamed as the Prime Minister's overarching scheme for holistic nutrition avian or potion avian that we popularly know in 2018. So, potion avian was a campaign which tried to bring all nutrition specific and sensitive programs together by an effective company. And recently, you must have heard that the potion avian has been intensified as potion. 2.0, And till now, there is a mixed uh, report about the portion of yarn's impact in converging and facilitating the nutrition service delivery. But it is true that it has triggered a nationwide wave of discussion and awareness about the nutrition programs and policies available to general uh, population. There's no doubt about it. The recent reform, which is portion 2.0 and Shaksham Anganwari, creates a high expectation. But it is too early to say how it will uh, perform in next year or a couple of years. We will definitely see that. Apart from these flagship programs, also the you you named about the public distribution system which is PDS that, that is within the National Food Security Act that covers a huge section of India India's population to address food insecurity. A lot of people are beneficiary uh, of it. And also similarly the midday Meal uh, uh, scheme which uh, came into effect I think in 1995 and that, that program actually aimed at uh, retaining school enrollment from falling further down. So nutritional gender was not the prime goal of this APM program, the, the midday school meal program. But its coverage has reached about 91.2 million children across 1.14 million schools. And it is an effect, it can be an effective platform to address a micronutrient deficiency among school children, specifically among girls. Uh, children who are in school. You also talked about the anemia, which which is a little bit worrying, and to fight anemia among women uh, of reproductive health. In India, in 1970, it launched the National Nutritional Anemia Prophylaxe Program, and it focused on distributing the iron folic acid. The program then was revised much later, in 2011, where they included the all age groups, as children, adolescent and pregnant, and then lactating women um, and reproductive, in the, uh, reproductive age. So, and they named it, the, the program was named as National Iron Plus Initiative. Um, then in December 2019, just two or three years before, that became the Anemia Bharat was, and it was, again, within the larger umbrella of potion campaign it was aimed to strengthen the fight against anemia which they took the approach of testing and then treating and then talking and, and changing the behavior and all those things of the component of that but the recent data from the national family survey gives an alarming picture about the prevalence of anemia not only among among the women but also among the children so we need to someone else to really deep dive and see how what is going on wrong over there, whether it is a data issue or whether it is a methodological issue or there is something going on with this anemia. So the metrics you are questioning or you are are, um, asked about the metrics of this program. So the commonly uh, used metrics uh, to measure the success of these programs um, that we largely see is the program coverage, just program coverage. You go into the website, you go into the program, it will say that how much it has covered, and what is the number of people are accessing the services, what component of services, from which reason, from which background, and all this. But there is a paucity of metrics that can really give us an outcome level success of these programs. And there is a need of more data that show more lights on the gender dynamics of such programs. Be it a program monitoring or a periodic survey, there should be an attempt to collect more gender-responsive data, the data from women who are using the services, data from women who are not using the services, the qualitative insights of using and not using services. These things, these information will help us in building better metrics which we are struggling with
1: right now. It is quite heartening to hear about the success and the sheer scale of some of these government initiatives. But like you were indicating, it's also important to keep in mind that we have such a long way to go as a country in actually addressing comprehensively the challenge of uh, women's nutrition. And so now I want to spend some time discussing these gaps and challenges in our nutrition systems. Different studies have shown that from the underutilization of a portion of the funds to challenge program delivery through the Anganwadi centers of the ICDS program, could you elaborate on the obstacles that happen in last mile delivery of India's nutrition programs for women and girls? So
2: the obstacles that you mentioned, be it the underutilization of post-Napian or challenges before Anganwadi centers, that you said, are they actually symptoms of real constraints? So symptoms are more visible. I believe the real constraints are at three levels, which is maybe a few steps before the obstacle that we were talking about. So the first constraint is at policy level. The second one can be at the implementers level. And the third one uh, will, can be at the population level. So some of the Policy level constraint, to quickly give an example, is a resource allocation. We just talked about the Government of India merged up four nutrition-specific schemes that are key for women and girls' nutrition under one umbrella and named it as Satyamanganwari and Potion R2.0. The intent is clear to strengthen the nutritional content, delivery, outreach, and outcome of these schemes, which the step in the right direction. However, the budget estimated for the Shaksha Mangan and portion 2.0 in 2021 and 2022 is it's 18% less than what it was allocated at all to all the skills together in the previous year. So that is also a policy level constraint, definitely, that creates that will create some obstacle or create some difficult for this program implementation. Another policy level challenge is we do not have enough number of, we talked about this Anganwadi. We do not have enough number of Anganwadi centers. The number increased from 600,000 Anganwadi centers in to, I think, 1,400,000 in 2015. Uh, but we're far from the 100% coverage in, in terms of geographical needs. Uh, further even the numbers of anganwadi centers have increased. The capacity of anganwadi workers and anganwadi centers, including salary, infrastructure needed, has not improved it. A simple, if I will give a simple picture of the anganwadi centers in, in India, 24% of the anganwadi centers they don't have their own building. Almost one fourth of uh, you know, the anganwadi centers in our country they don't have their own building they are on out proper small rented places and only seventy percent of anganwadi centers have electricity connections and more than one fourth of anganwadi centers they lack the capacity of proper documentation this is recognized by Niti and all they they have found that you no know, this they, they record keeping is it is poor almost like more than one fourth of anganwadi centers in the country and the data. Uh, the ground level is important to monitor and see how we are progressing or not progressing on these nutritional indicators. So these are the, the clear example of the policy level things. And also there are other policy level issues. Like now we are talking about missing an effective life cycle approach while we are addressing the anemia. Even within the anemia, we the life cycle approach needs to be more strengthened which is not. But these are the policy level constraints that, that I would say that is calculating to the obstacle at a different level, if you know, at the implementation and also at the population level at the last is where the uh, re- receiving end level So the implementation level constraint are largely governance that uh, we we see now that we all know how it challenges the poor governance or the governance issues at the implementation level challenges the actual convergence at the state and the district level, the misuse of resources, corruption that we always see. So those are implementation level constraints that somebody has to worry about. The constraint at the receiving end is linked to mostly the enable. Enabling environment for program accessibility at individual and community level. Poverty in general, comparatively low autonomy of women and less participation in decision-making process, inadequate dietary intake of women, are some of the factors now that are, that constraints in making an enabling environment where women can be more empowered for an improved program accessibility because availability program is a different thing. But Accessibility is a key and to enable somebody to access that these are the factors needs to be taken care of. Apart from this constraint, there is another key constraint which can would help us to overcome the challenges that we discussed in past seven to eight minutes. Lack of data. We do not have data. We don't have enough gender responsive quality data that gives us more information on what is happening at individual and household and community, and program implementation level. Perhaps the only thing we are always going back to see is a national uh, representative sample. But there is no other quality national-level data that, break, that gives a little more detail about it because National Environmental Survey cannot give you us everything. There are a lot of other insights we are needed. So that is also a bigger challenge in front of us.
1: While we're on the topic of gaps and challenges that our nutrition systems face, it's also interesting to note that social norms in India actually dictate that women often eat less and eat less. So what really is the potential harm caused by such patriarchal behavior? And there's also a lot of misconceptions and taboos about what pregnant women and menstruating girls and women in general should and should not be eating. So again, what really is the harmful impact of these taboos and misconceptions?
2: Okay, let me answer your second question. The food taboo is found in almost every part of the world, not only in India or other Southeast Asian countries that we regularly deal with. As you said, it is largely around white women and girls can't eat or should not eat. These restrictions are wide in range without any consistency across cultures. Foods forbidden in one culture are accepted in other. It is not based on any scientific evidence or clinical trials. So any targeted nutrition education can take care of this issue. I am confident about it, but what is pressing each of us because it is well established that women and girls eat last, eat least. Food and nutrition it's not an option, it is a right and a basic one. Denying rights of adequate food and the micronutrients impacts the survival and the fundamental well-being of women, which we see women suffering from disproportionate burden of malnutrition in this country. There is a wide range of immediate socio-cultural and economic drivers responsible for women's less access to food justice. Almost all of these socio-cultural and economic drivers are patriarchal in nature. We've been talking about these drivers for quite a long time within the gender rights, but we're still tripping over the word gender while we speak nutrition we need to shift over gear what we talked a little bit earlier that initiated actually a fundamental change completely different approach
1: that actually brings me to my next question and here i want to know what really are the nutrition programs of India doing to address these issues, the issue of patriarchy? So what are these programs doing to address that? And are we actually prepared enough to undo the challenge of patriarchy? And if not, what more can programs be doing?
2: On principle, yes. Most of the nutrition programs in India aim to empower women in different scattered aspects. But are they all a fundamentally empowering program in 360 degrees, that can be a debate. If you look historically, uh, women's rights and well-being has been in the Indian discourse for a long time. Also, as in the mid-19th century, in the 1850s, when the first wave of feminism started, when we talked about the Sati rights and all those things, it started from there. However, though the starting from the beginning. And throughout the phases of feminism movement, the approach has been to target patriarchy and its practice. That has been the approach as in to bring the women empowerment. The movements and interventions have tried to bring women empowerment by altering sociocultural practices, norms, etc. And the same approach has been also reflected in the nutritional health programs. Maybe it is time to reflect on our existing approach, and we see we have still we're struggling with that same issue, and we keep uh, talking and uh, discussing, going back to the drawing board again and again. So it is time to really think how comprehensive our approach is, how effective, our how strategic our approach is. But the program just can't stop at the point where women are treated as beneficiaries of a program. We need to uplift the women's economic autonomy in the society. That only can flatten the curve of the ownership of and access to resources which is concentrated with men. And we have to involve men. Women empowerment cannot be achieved only by raising women's status and not preparing men to enable a platform where the women empowerment would get a safe environment to grow. So working with men is another key that is missing from most of the nutrition-specific and sensitive programs in this country. I, I must share this. My notice that is right now conducting a study of, to document how involving men in nutrition and health programs have brought more quicker and better results in achieving better health and nutrition for women globally. So once there are studies published, and that work will definitely throw more lights on what we're discussing.
1: I want to shift gear a little bit and ask about what I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think to be a very large gap that our nutrition programs actually fail to address, which is the nutrition of women outside family structures. So, as we have been discussing, India's nutrition programs focus extensively on pregnant women, lactating women, and young girls. But is there any emphasis on the nutrition of, say, older women, senior citizens, women on the margins, outside family structures, say, uh, trans women, single women, uh, sex workers? So, essentially, what I'm asking Dr. Sain, is that is women's nutrition actually seen as a pressing concern outside of the context of family and reproduction?
2: So you mentioned different underserved categories of women. And we have to understand that each of the group have specific vulnerabilities, which is important to unfold to design effective programs. So the nutrition policies for that we have to really understand how this nutrition policy evolved so that we understand the the current situation. The nutrition policy and programs in India has evolved from the national population and health policy traditional, right? So, and if you see the population dynamics of the country, India is still a young nation, and India, India was much younger nation before. So, to, so tra- traditionally, India being a young nation, so children and uh, maternal health has been the key folks, which is, if need of public health. So in this focused trajectory, women who fall out of fertility discourse are left behind, such as women who, women who are out of reproductive span, women uh, who are not mothers for any reason. So nutrition security of women outside of family and childbirth matters. It is a basic human right that we all know right now. With the current demographic transition, and this issue will be an emerging one, and we have to deal with bigger issue than we saw. India will be no more a young nation in the next few decades. We all have seen that India has already achieved the replacement for fertility, and there will be an increasing number of older adults in the near future. The increased work participation rate where females will con- contribute more to the workforce, growing urbanization, changed the fertility desire, shifting family structure, will lead to the increased number of women who are out of the marriage and motherhood. So that number is going to grow. So their nutrition security and the nutrition need of these groups will be very different than the traditional uh, approach. So it is better the policies and programs pull up their socks now and better be, be prepared for the future. Also, you mentioned sex workers. When you talk about the female sex workers and trans women, the level of marginalization is further layering up. Poverty, lack of advocacy can be some of the key reasons why there is no voice or discussion of the marginalized or the underserved groups in the mainstream of discussion of nutrition and gender, yet. But perhaps it won't be completely true if I uh, say that these underserved groups like sex worker and trans women do not have a policy level voice. In fact, the number of non-governmental and organized community-based organizations have given a visible platform to talk about these groups of women. But the dialogue has been always around HIV risk and related morbidities. Nutrition has been never been discussed there before. It is time now to use that network. We have a network. They have a platform. It is time to use that to advocate for nutrition security of such underserved groups.
1: Given the times that we live in, it's very important for us to also talk about women's nutrition in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. A study conducted by the Tata Pernod Institute found that women were actually consuming less diverse food groups during the 2020 lockdown. And in addition to this, the lockdown also induced reverse migration back to villages, which studies found was actually increasing the burden on rural PDS services and was actually redirecting food away from women to male members of the family and even the children who no longer had access to midday meals in school. So can you shed light, Dr. Swain, on the state of women's nutrition during the pandemic? And can you talk a little bit about the disproportionate vulnerability of women to economic shocks?
2: During the lockdown, TCI went ahead and we implemented that phone survey to ask around how COVID shock is affecting women, and that piece of work is a high-value addition to the body of knowledge. It not only talks about the immediate drivers of women's nutrition insecurity during the lockdown, but also it suggests how policy-level changes are required for preventing from similar experiences in future. Many other studies that followed this one or from other parts of India show the similar result of a disproportionate burden of nutrition insecurity during the pandemic. So we all know that COVID-19 may hit hard the well-being of the general population, including food and nutrition security globally and also in India. But it hit women harder, specifically in the low middle-income settings like India. The pandemic shock affected women economically, socially. Ultimately, during the first lockdown of 2020, 47% of working women in formal sectors, I'm talking about 47% of working women lost their jobs and did not return to work, where the same figure for men was only 7%. In the informal sector, the women suffered even more. Between March and April 2021, rural Indian women in informal jobs accounted for 80% of job losses. This must have boosted a huge section of women more into the poverty and uh, further marginalization pre-pandemic. Indian women spent 10 times more time than men on their domestic chores, like taking care of family, seniors within the family, cooking and all those, house care, jobs. During the pandemic, their share of this unpaid domestic work increased to another 30%. So we can just advance the time stress the huge number of women is, are going through. And also, this doesn't stop there. The older, ardent women suffered more poor insecurity during the April and August in 2020 than any other in the population groups. And if you look at the national commission of women data between February and May 2020, there is an increase of domestic violence against women about 2.5 times. So 2.5 times domestic violence increased during the during that lockdown period. So these t- statistics are unfortunate, but not surprising. Historically, women and girls are the most affected of any shock. Just imagine the condition of women who are you know, for who the degree of vulnerabilities increased by caste, resident, social status. We're just talking about these numbers that we just talked about, the general of like of the, the average women. But if we really go down and see the caste-wise, see the residence-wise the other background or the social characteristics-wise, the vulnerability will go many folds off. And it is worth fear that after spending more than 100 years of discussing about QT and empowerment, still the social safety nets in our country are not able to provide a short answer for
1: these women.
0: As final thoughts, Dr. Swain, I'm curious to know how you envision the future of nutrition in India. What would be your top one or two recommendations that could help catalyze inclusive nutrition programs in the country? And how do you, within the Tata Cornell Institute, plan to engage with this vision?
2: India has come a long way in fighting undernutrition in the past three decades. It is likely that India will miss the Sustainable Development Goal target of zero hunger by another five to seven years, because. It's very unlikely that India reaches the target by 2030, but we'll be there at some point of time. But what is worrying most is India is rushing into another bigger problem of malnutrition. And India will, be, will become an alarming opus in a very short period of time. Again, the omen will bear the disproportionate bottom of it. So since 2016, the obesity among women has really doubled in India and rural India will be most affected and women in rural India are always in disadvantage. So the so these are the nutrition challenges now in future that I see for India. And good news is there are that there, there is a lot of agencies like like TCI are working towards making the policy makers and government aware of what is coming and the possible way out. And the effort making gains at a policy level may be small once, but it is happening. So the future of nutrition policy. The programs would be on the food system approach, has to be on the food system approach, in fact. And it will definitely bring us a sustainable uh, result at some point of time. And TCI is dedicated towards these codes and the, the whole attention is going towards generating evidence and influencing the policy at the federal and the state level where the agricultural policy, the food policy, the policies around gender, the policies around environment needs to be changed so that we get a sustainable, better, nutritious India in a very soon and a very effective way. And your uh, second question about the two most key suggestions that I feel will make difference. It's a tough one to choose, but if you want me to choose two, so... The first, I feel, we have discussed about it, but still I will repeat to emphasize on it. I feel changing the approach of addressing malnutrition among women and girls is important. The programs and policies should go beyond the traditional approach where the women are just beneficiaries. It should start initiating a fundamental change that brings more ownership to women. And a gender responsive food system approach is the clear answer for India, where still a larger proportion of people lives in a village and depends on farming. We can do that through this food system approach. It is feasible. It is possible. We have piloted this module in a smaller cost setting and it can be scaled up to a a national level or state level. And the second important thing, if you want me to pick up from my list is involving more men in gender-sensitive initiatives at household and also at community level, so that we can have an enabling environment for women's safe So these are my two suggestions that I feel we should address and we should implement ASAP, and these are the two which are largely missing from the current approach.